Hey everybody and welcome back to another Next Level People episode. We've got Tyrone Russ Jr. on the show today. We've got Rena on the show today. I'm on the show today. The only person missing is the jerk Sean that happens to be <laughs> in Greece right now on a baby moon. And I guess we'll forgive him for it. You know, I mean, he's having a kid. He's trying to do things right. Uh, but he's still a jerk for being in Greece. <laughs> so Tyrone... I am so excited to have you on the show today. I've looked through your LinkedIn. Rena's told me a bunch of good stuff about you, so thank you for waking up and, and hitting record with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, first of all, thank you for sharing your platform. And yeah. secondly, I'm glad Rena shared all of the positive things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get into some of the negative things. That's what this entire episode is. No, I'm just kidding. She's a, she's amazing, by the way. She very, is very amazing. Yeah. She my vir my virtual one of my virtual best friends. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So, Tyrone, I mean, I, like I said, I looked I looked through your LinkedIn, and one of the things that I was thinking about is like, you know, I when you look on LinkedIn and you see managing partner. Uh, in wealth and asset management and financial advisor and all that stuff, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is like stuffy banker, uh, yep. like buttoned up, like no mm -hmm. personality. Like I'm sorry, uh, like it's it's obviously not true. Like but so what I want to do is I just I just want to put a person behind the profile and I I, I want to understand like kind of who you are like what makes Tyrone Tyrone and so I'm curious like how did you even get into that space like what what made you dive into that space right so I try and get away from all of those buzzwords in my profile I tried as much as possible but some stuff LinkedIn just doesn't like the whole wealth management thing right all of that I try and get away from that um because I've never been your prototypical advisor. Um, mm -hmm. For one, I'm a I'm a black man. Right. Um, two, um, I don't wear blue suits with black shoes. Um, <laughs> sec <laughs> secondly, um, I I was always a believer in meeting people where they are, and because I I don't come from means. I was the first one in my family to finish high school, so. I, I never wanted people to believe that I was this guy who went to Harvard and came mm. from, you know, this background and just grew up on everything Wall Street. Um, I ended up on Wall Street because I had a graduate professor that suggested it. Mm. And I didn't know I didn't know nothing about money. I didn't know nothing about Wall Street. And I'm like, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> um, you know, I'm like, yeah. I just don't, I don't want to do that. And I, and I just, I just, I didn't know anything about it. I, I, I damn sure knew that I wasn't smart enough, I thought, right, or whatever. But I just knew nothing. I didn't know where to start. So he helped me. And this was in 2006. And, you know, he's like, here's what you do, you know, the interview process or whatever. Um, and I just... I just happened to end up at a at a small investor relations firm. And for those who don't know what investor relations is, it's just simply PR with numbers. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I was clueless. And I had some folks there that just kind of taught me the way. And, you know, what now, almost 14 years later, here I am. That's awesome. And so talk to me about, I mean, it's always interesting to hear somebody that came from your background where you're the first person in your family to graduate high school and now you're literally like you're doing your thing like this is like 
it's a like I love that story because there's a lot of people that they come up expecting to get on Wall Street. They expect right. to be a managing 100%. partner. They expect that like I am going to wear the blue suits and the black shoes and I'm going to get the most expensive wines and the cars mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. but I don't I don't get that from you at all. Like I, I see that that humble that only comes from those types of beginnings. So I would, yeah. I would love to like what what was that motivation? Like, why why did you even want to graduate high school? Who was there a person that pushed that? Was that internally you, or who? What was that? You, you know what I, I you know what it, it's funny. I love really good questions, and I think that's a that's a really good question. People will always say, and I actually thought you were about to say it. Well, what what drove you to go to college to finish college, right? And it's like, from my background, well, what drove you to finish high school? And it's funny because. A lot of people who knew me in high school, I was the, you know, I was a track star. I got a full scholarship, the mm -hmm. whole deal. But a lot of my classmates didn't realize that at that time I had no permanent home address. Like I was mm -hmm. back and forth between all of these different places. And there was no example of now I love my, mo my mother and father to death, but there was no example of right. edu education being this bar. Right. Um, and I always joke with people, if you came to my high school graduation, you would have thought I got my Ph.D. Like it was a big deal. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and I say that in jest, but it was. Mm -hmm. But I only made it through that point because of my track coach, who is now like a second dad to me. If it wasn't for him and the things that he did, he bought me my first pair of track, track spikes. He taught me the, the beginning stages of what it means to be responsible, what it means to handle success, what it mm. means to be committed, dedicated, driven. Um, and humble, um, and more importantly, never forgetting where you come from. Um, wow. And he just happened to go through his things himself. So it's only, literally only because of him that I finished high school and that I even had an opportunity to break the curse and go to college. Yeah. Um, and even with all of his help, again, he couldn't prepare me for college because my, my family structure, no one had ever been. So I got to college and I struggled immensely. But as far as the high school piece, if it wasn't for his direction, his guidance, um, his 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 sponsor, right? Yeah. Um, there, there's no way I am where I am now. That's that's an uh, so not exact same story, but I have a very kind of similar story in a way. But I would I would love to because of the role that your track coach played in your life, I would love to to honor him. What what's his name? Uh, his name is Martin Hollering. Um, right. He is the track coach at Metuchen High School in Metuchen, New Jersey. Awesome. Um, the the most um, seminal, important figure in my life. Um, to this day, um, I still go to him with certain things. He still yells at me. Um, <laughs> like any good coach, right? <laughs> yeah. And and what? It's funny. I was just having this conversation with my mom actually, and because my mother is the type of person that loves on you in spite of, mm -hmm. and you can put, you can fill in whatever you want after of. Yeah. Coach was always tough love. No matter how well I did, he was never impressed. But I knew he loved me, mm. right? And I and I knew he cared about the result, and he never made me feel like I was doing it alone. But he he made me realize that there's two sides to love there's a tough love there's a love that's going to be demanding there's a love that's going to be understanding but it but it's also going to be more give than take mm. 
Mm. Um, and because of that, you know, I, 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 there was this duality in my life at the time because when I was in high school, me and my dad didn't have the best relationship. He was in my life. I've had both pa both parents all my life, but that doesn't mean anything. And I wish people would get away from that. Mm. You can have two parents in the house and have the most vacuous relationship with them because there's no emotional connection. Right. Um, and I didn't develop a relationship with my dad until I was much older. But everything I've learned, starting with him, everything that I learned about becoming a man, I learned outside of my home. Yeah. Um, you know, the, b besides the things, right, that my father gave me that I'm truly grateful for, um, which is his gene pool, um, his last name, <laughs> his last name, and, yeah. and the, the example of hard work. Um, I, I, that's just in my DNA. It's never something I had to work for. So I was grateful for that. But the, the cultivation and the maturation of a man, of becoming a man, whatever a man is to people, right, right. Um, I, I learned that outside of the home. And so your coach was kind of the fill-in-the-gap father figure for the other side of things, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's – it's always interesting to see. And so, uh, I mean, you got this this coach. He's yelling at you. He's expecting great things out of you, and nothing mm -hmm. even close to mediocrity was allowed. Uh, right. And then talk to me about – so you're, you're the, like you said, you're the first person to graduate high school. And when you graduated, it was a big deal to your family, right? Like they were, they were super excited for you. 100%. Was there, was there resistance from your family going to like anybody in your family when you went to college saying like, like, who do you think you are? Like, or like anything like that? Or what was that like going into college with being like you are the first person what was that pressure like what was what was the family atmosphere like at holidays all that stuff great question it, everyone was excited because it was free so it was, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was free so there was no pushback there it was just like where you're gonna go i had the choice to go wherever i wanted i knew mm -hmm. i wasn't going to have to pay which was something that again that i talked to young men about young men and young ladies and families when the kids are being recruited and the parents didn't go to college and they don't understand what that's like I mean, I had coaches coming to my house and my father was asking them when I was going to have access to aspirin. Like, that's what my parents do to ask. Yeah. And the coaches are like, sir, are you serious? You know, yeah. but they they had to understand where we were coming from as a family. It just wasn't a reality. And then my father's asking about aspirin and my mother's like, so what does free mean? Like, is it free, free? Like, right, right. and if you don't, if you come from nothing, if you come from struggle, that's a hard thing to understand. More mm -hmm. importantly, he had no idea it was a reality. College wasn't a reality. So when it actually became a thing, it was kind of like, oh, wow, this is happening, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the next thing I know, I graduated. Everyone was all excited. There was really no... You know what the thing was? The, the expectation was more for myself because at 16 years old as a junior in high school, I had kind of seen the vision that I wanted to be an Olympian. So there was pressure I put on myself. Mm-hmm. But there was no there was no external pressure from anyone to do anything. It was kind of like I could have graduated high school and went to get a job as a garbage man, which I did, by the way, um, nice. during during the summers. I yeah. worked as a garbage man. But yeah. um, the most humbling um, and, and rewarding experience, by the way, I, I think everybody should have to pick garbage at least for two days. Um, but that's yeah. a, that's another yeah. podcast. But so <laughs> the, 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 the pressure. <laughs> I think that when you're when you're the first of anything, right? Yeah. First across the wall is the first to get shot. 
-hmm. So there were things that I experienced that there was no one there to ask or to learn from. Then I leave New Jersey. I go to Atlanta, Georgia, and I have it's the first time I see black people with money. Mm. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. So all of my roommates are of color, but they come from means. Their parents had, you know, multiple degrees or whatever. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. Right. So yeah. I was just completely overwhelmed and just decided the way to deal with it was not to go to class. And they kicked me out. But <laughs> um, so that's but now looking back at it, is it looking back at it? my 18 year old self as a 39 year old man now is that was my way of dealing just not going not mm. facing those pressures I, I just won't go to class right yeah. to, you know that's not so I, I think the pressure was more internally it wasn't no it wasn't any rather external pressure from anyone to you know go and be a, a doctor or something that just wasn't right. there good or bad right it just right. it just wasn't those just wasn't those expectations and so you went there, You had, I mean, like your eyes were open to a whole different world or you stopped going to class because, I mean, it's like it's a culture shock. You're in the same country, but it's such an, and it's, it's even, like you said, it's like people that you have grown up looking like, but it's just a completely different culture still. And so it's like a, what, how did you end up coping with that? What did you do differently to deal with that culture shock? I, nothing. I, I, could, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I literally drew, I, I, I drew in and I, and I just, I suffered mm. because I just didn't, I, and I had this, we all, you know, all of my roommates, because they were my teammates as well, were all still very close. And I told them I didn't feel like I belonged. Yeah. So I, I acted out, right? I, 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 I didn't go to class. I was, I was you know, running around, you know, if there was a party in Atlanta, I found it, right? I was that guy. Yeah. Um, and I, I just acted out. I just, you know, not in a way where I was, you know, I, I've never done drugs. I've never drank alcohol. I just, I was just like the socialite, right? Mm. So, and I, I just found a way to get myself into everything, but avoided what came along with the responsibility of being a full scholarship athlete. Right, and being the yeah. first one in your family to 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 break that curse. So I didn't do anything. I I, mm. I I tried to get away from that. So there was really no assimilation or anything. I didn't realize that opportunity until I was home, and I had destroyed it. And That's and, interesting. and yeah, and I was and I was lucky enough again now in my life to actually I shouldn't say lucky. My mother would kill me. Blessed enough uh. Uh, <laughs> to look back to look back on it now and realize that. But at the time. There was I didn't do anything. That's interesting that uh, you know most people, and this is me speaking of myself. When they avoid things, they turn to alcohol. They turn to drugs. What was it that like? Why why didn't you even drink? That's that's like a very different thing that you don't normally hear from a college student that is going right. to all these parties and avoiding things. Like I was avoiding right. things in high school and that's why like, I created my own problems. I was avoiding things in high school and got into drugs and alcohol in high school and wow. had a coach that like kind of got me out of it. But, uh, talk to me, like what, what was the drive to say no? Cause I guarantee there were opportunities. Uh, yeah. So again, here at 39 years old, I still never touched alcohol, never touched mm -hmm. any type of drug. I don't even take medicine. Right. I don't I don't put any type of foreign substance in my right. body. But I honestly still don't have a good enough answer for that. I never had it. I just didn't. 
And, yeah. I, and I had friends to do it. I tell people, you know, athletes are the biggest alcoholics you'll ever mm -hmm. meet, the biggest drug addicts, right? Because they're trying to deal with expectations and pressure and everything. But I just, it just never something that I wanted to do. Um, and I really don't have a good answer for it. And, and I think, again, being blessed in a situation where I didn't even have peer pressure. No one was like, hey, you should, you know. So mm -hmm. I think I was strong enough in who I was and people realized that I was that I was driven in a way, especially in high school, right? I, I was, I had to be a leader. Mm -hmm. So there were parties that I was at where people were drinking and smoking, and I was like, "I'm here, so you're gonna have to stop that. You can do it when I leave, but you're not gonna do that while I'm here." Yeah. But it was never, and and some of my closest friends drink, smoke, whatever, but it was never any peer pressure. So I think that helped. Yeah. Um. And even and as I got an adult, once I got to Wall Street, it was no one will trust you if you go out to a dinner and you don't drink. Or you don't have a cigar, yeah, whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, they they just need to trust that I'll be the one to remember the conversation from the table, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, but but again, that that's I and I never impose on anyone or anything mm -hmm. like that. My beliefs are why I don't, because I don't have a good enough reason why I don't do it. It was just something that I didn't, you know, I didn't need to do. And the thing was, it turned out that anybody that ever partied with me, I was the guy that were like, "What is he on?" Like mm -hmm. we need that, you know. Yeah. Like so, I didn't need anything. Thank God. Um, I was the one who was just twenty four seven high energy. Yeah. Um, but so I know. I honestly, I, I hate to say, it, but I don't no, have that's... a good enough answer. It's just, I just, it was just never something that appealed to me. Yeah. No, and I think, I think that is something. And I, I this is not a fleshed out thought yet. But I stopped drinking two years ago. Uh, like cold turkey. So I, awesome. I had a, I had a conversation with uh, a buddy of mine and it's something that I like, I'd been struggling with for a long time. Uh, and it was the day before my 30th birthday and he challenged me to stop drinking. I don't know. I don't even know what to, to say about it, but I think that if we put less of an emphasis on alcohol, because I feel like there's a lot of people that need more Tyrones that are, are not willing to budge. Um, right. and because I mean, wall street, for example, like you said, is like people won't trust you if you don't drink. I mean, same thing in like almost every industry. It's just like, it's a thing. And there's people out there that like, they go to these things, they know that they shouldn't. And people are losing their jobs. People are losing their marriages. People are losing all sorts of stuff because they just, they think that they have to. Um, yeah. and it's been an interesting journey for me to realize I don't have to, uh, and it's still like, I, I come back to it and I'm like, why, like, why can't I? And it's not that I can't, it's that I, I just, I choose that I'm not going to. And it's just, it's, a, it's been a really interesting journey. I'm coming up on two years in October. Uh, I'll be 32 in October. Um, and that'll be two years. It'll be, it's just interesting, but anyways, so we dug into kind of a little bit about who, what makes you, you, but let's talk about, I mean, l let's just scroll through your resume. I mean, you got your investor relations associate. You talked a little bit about that. It's PR with numbers. You got into Merrill Lynch. It looks like they're like August, 2009. You, you probably got hit there, huh? Um, yeah. So, and in 2009, I actually, 
So I was 2008, 2009, I was still at Financial Dynamics, which is right. the investor relations firm. Oh, nine, I left to go get licensed to become a stockbroker okay. um, at a little boiler room, Wolf of Wall Street chop shop in New York City. Um, that's where I learned to cold call. That's where I learned sales. That's where I learned how to close. That's how I learned sales technique. Every piece of sales techniques I learned there, I thought it was completely useless at the time. Um, until, you know, I stepped foot into, into Merrill Lynch and became a force. Mm. Um, but so left there, then immediately went to a firm that was close by, it was, uh, it was called Laidlaw. They were doing like SPVs, which are like special purpose vehicles where they were like mm. bundling shares of, you know, Twitter and all these other companies that weren't public yet. And we were, you know, pushing that on to people who didn't need it. Um, yeah. and I was still at the, I was still trying to find my way to one of the bigger firms and found my way to Morgan Stanley, um, where I convinced the branch manager that I could also work on wall street and train for the Olympics. He was dumb enough to believe me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I probably got fired, but he was such a believer in me. He actually is the one who directed me to Merrill Lynch. I ended up in Merrill Lynch in 2012, shortly after my life burnt to ashes. And here I am. So oh, you can't just say my life burnt to ashes. You got to like, <laughs> so what, I mean, I love these that we're able to get deep into this yeah. because it's, it's showing again, you're not a stuffy buttoned up banker. No, that's, no, that's no. That's not who you are. So like, not, what, not at all. Are you okay with talking about that? What happened? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I literally, I mean, the lowest point was I tried to, you know, I tried to kill myself, you know, considering committing suicide. I was this close, but thankfully, again, God stopped me from jumping in front of a truck. Um, my grandmother passed. My best, you know, one of my best friends from high school committed suicide and lost my job. The young lady that I thought I was going to marry, we broke up. Um, another best friend of mine, we were fighting over money, so we weren't talking. I was sleeping on my parents' floor in a one-bedroom apartment in the projects. Um, I had millions of dollars of people's money that I couldn't tell. Um, I could keep going for the next hour, but there yeah. was so many. There were so many things that were that were going wrong there, um, and it, it, it all it all came crashing down. Um, and it was it was you know we don't have enough time to go through what happened, but right. it was years in the making. But what happened then was again. I, to, to link that to the story and and the last piece of that right and which is so crazy the year was so horrible that the, the, the thing about it that was probably the absolute worst some people would say killing myself was would be the absolute worst but it wasn't mm. but two weeks before the olympic trials i tore my groin mm. and what yeah what is going on here um you're good man i Just tore keep yeah going. i tore I my i tore my groin and you know, missed out on my dream. And at that time I was 32 years old. That was my last shot. And, uh, you know, I, I would have, I was actually just saying it this morning. If, if someone came to me right now and said, you can be an Olympian for 30 seconds, but you have to die. I do it. Mm. I literally do it. I would forsake the rest of my years. And I don't know how long I'm going to year going to live, but that's still how much it means to me mm. that if someone said you could transfer your life right now, you give up whatever you're going to do, to walk into the stadium and hear that music and hear them announce the United States of America and you have that gear on, I would do it right now. Mm. And I've and and it's funny, people say, Are you still holding on to it or whatever? But that's how much it meant to me and it still did, because I'm going to have to live the rest of my life as a failure. And if I don't 
if I had that experience, that means I'm not a failure. So as I look at myself right now on this camera and I go look at myself in the mirror later, or whatever, and I see pictures of myself and I'm doing interviews and videos, all I see is a failure. Right. When my kids look at me, I, I have to make sure that they're not going to see a failure. When my wife looks at me, I have to make sure that she's not going to see a failure because the one thing I worked hardest on my whole life is never going to happen. Mm. That's a terrible pain to deal with. Yeah. So I am always going to be a failure. That's never going to change. No kind words, no Bible scriptures, no, you know, uh, yeah. Dalai Lama quotes. That's what I am. And that's how I introduce myself. I'm a three time failed Olympian. I will always be that and it will never change. And that sucks. Mm -hmm. But 2012, I had the opportunity to go to Merrill Lynch and it changed my life because I was put in front of people who helped me orchestrate where I am right now. I have no idea where I am right now because I didn't plan this. Mm. Right. I, I didn't I don't know what any of this is because I didn't plan it. Right. Yeah. But I, I'm able to use my story to inspire others. And maybe that's what God wanted. I wanted to be an Olympian for myself. Mm. Maybe God was like, well, this is what you should do. So this is the path that I'm on. And I and I definitely don't want to forsake where the path that I'm on and where I'm being led. But I also have to stay true to the brokenness that I have inside of me. And is that that's not going to happen. And that sucks. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's just kind of where it is. So long story short. So I was when you're dealing with that kind of pain and you have the type of drive and commitment and desire and tenacity that I have, everything else from here is cake. I will never go through anything that hard. Right. So there's there is not a person on earth that I believe that can outwork me. Everybody says it, but I will never be outworked simply mm -hmm. because where wherever your pain gets, that's where my pleasure starts. Yeah. So I don't I'll, I'm numb to that. I'm numb to 18 hour days. Mm -hmm. I'm numb to working weekends. I'm numb to all of this normal stuff that Wall Street claims is hard. You know, it's not hard. Right. Hard is getting up at three thirty in the morning to go train, go and work on Wall Street for fourteen hours, coming back and training again on four hours sleep, mm -hmm. right? And spending down your bank account because you have no sponsor, and traveling all over the country, and dealing with what happened in '04 and '08, and then again in 2012, right? As a sixteen-year-old mm -hmm. with a with a dream and a desire and a passion, um, and and uh, the talent that was given to you, but not have something manifest in your life—that's hard. Right. Trying to reconcile that is hard. Not competing against dudes that I know coming from privilege and feel elite. Good luck. Good luck when you meet somebody like me. If I walk in the room, it's a wrap. <laughs> yep. I love that. I love wow. that tenacity that you've got. And it, it comes from that pain. Like and I, I so like you said, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that with the motivational quotes, there's the uh, Dalai Lama, there's a Bible scripture, whatever you want to say, yeah. but you, you've got to, I think there's something in allowing yourself to feel the pain. I don't yep. think, I, I know that there's something in allowing yourself to feel the pain. And it, it's just, it's an interesting thing because you now, like you have a, a different goal. You said you're not exactly sure what that looks like. You're in uncharted territory, but what is, what is your idea of success now in this new land look like changing lives and impacting lives and, and i know that sounds cliche but for me success now is living to leave a legacy not from my resume right so i'm confident that if i strike dead on the floor here right now uh keep recording by the way yeah i'm um, just call just call my mom <laughs> 
<laughs> but if I if I fall if I fall dead right now, that somebody is going to be able to walk into my funeral and say my life is better because he lived. Mm. I don't care. I'm never going to accomplish the thing that matters to me. So everything under the sun now is just cake. But what I can do is make sure that someone who has a dream, dreamers are special people. Everyone talks about creatives. Everyone talks about, you know, geniuses and, and geeks. And no one thinks about dreamers. Dreamers are special people. Elon Musk is a dreamer. That man is a dreamer. But what happens is he also has the tools and the means and the mind to execute and get things done. So dreamers are really, really people and really, really important people. And they need to be cultivated and protected. So if someone comes to me now and they have a dream, they want to be an actress, they want to be a doctor, they want to be a lawyer, they want to be a, an Olympian. It's, it's, it's my job now to tell them you can't have everything. And you can't have anything either, right? Those are lies the devil created and told. That's bull. You can work hard. You're not guaranteed anything in life. But what you are guaranteed is a lesson. And the lesson is to be learned, not to be forsaken. Mm. So if I can let somebody understand that, because one of the things that I did, I didn't enjoy the journey. I mm. didn't enjoy the journey. And now because of it, I'm bitter because I don't have the end result. So if I, enjoy, if I enjoyed the journey, I would have been comfortable saying, you know what? I didn't get there, but man, did I really enjoy it. I couldn't because I was constantly driven, getting up, working three, you know, working out three times on Christmas or whatever. Right. right? All of the crazy things that I did because I was like, you know what? This needs to happen. If it don't, if it doesn't rather, then it's not worth me living. So it's important for me now to take that message and let someone know, hey, aspire to do whatever it is that you want to do. Dreaming is important, but it may not happen. Mm. So if it doesn't happen every single day, you have to enjoy the journey. So this way, if you don't end up with whatever you think is the prize, you've picked up little coins along the way. Right. And one mm. of my mentor always said that every day he would walk by my desk and say, remember to pick up the coins. Right. The streets are lined with gold coins. Remember to pick them up. Mm. Right. And a lot of people don't. Right. So, you know, they want they they, they want to go to the gold mine, but the streets are lined with gold coins and pick yeah. them up along the way. You'll get to the mine. Right. So that's what my that's what success looks like to me now. Everything else is happening. It's cool. And people would say I'm successful from the outside. But on the inside, what really makes me successful is the fact that I can get some of the messages that I'm getting this week after people listening to, you know, another podcast that I was on or people sending me, you know, uh, 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 you know, success in their own life and saying, I'm able to accomplish this because of you. Mm. That's, you know, that's what success is now. Everything else is kind of like, again, I didn't plan it anyway. So it's just, yeah. it's just happening yeah. to me. So I'm cool. I'm grateful, but I'm like, I didn't really want to be, you know, speaking to employees at Uber is cool, but yeah. you know, so yeah, that's what that's kind of what it is. That's awesome. So, uh, like if I were, and we're gonna dive into something a little bit different. We're gonna not different exactly. It's just a it's a different path in the conversation. Mm -hmm. But if you look across your life, it looks uh, like you've got your vantage point has changed significantly. Mm -hmm. Where, like you said, it it went from me, my goal, my dream, and then. Now you've got others, you're others focused and yep. that is 
that explains that like remember i said at the beginning of this thing i want to understand the person behind the profile the very first bullet point in your summary uh, i mean it talks about i found that i have i'm most passionate about an effective working with the following individuals and the first bullet point is new investors willing to learn and collaborate on goals based relationships so mm-hmm. i mean that it it codifies what you just said where you are now focused on others so talk to me i mean let's let's help some people in this in this episode i think like the first i don't know what are we at 30 30 minutes like that has i guarantee is gonna rock some people's worlds like it's going to it's going to change some people yep Um, and allow me to allow me to add this before we pivot because i don't want to forget this do it whoever's listening to this and they need this word i think this was this is what's important and i and it's funny I, i was thinking about this last night as i was going to bed and, and, you know, I say getting, getting some of the feedback that I was, was getting from sharing, really getting in depth and sharing my story. What you realize when your life falls apart, shatters into pieces, literally, right? When something breaks in the house and you realize that, all right, well, it breaks into three pieces. I could probably glue this back together. Mm. But when your life shatters into pieces where you look around and you're just like, I can't put this back together. That's on purpose because you've grown. And if you put the pieces back together, you won't fit inside of it anyway. Mm. It's a new shell, it's a new skin. So the reason why it all falls apart and you can't even, and and it's literally broken to the point where you don't even know where to start is because you're supposed to take the next step into building a new you because you're not gonna fit in old skin. Mm -hmm. And that's what I had to realize. I'm like, man, there's nothing here I can fix. So now, 2013 to right now, I'm building a new me. I'm still yeah. not finished. Yeah. But if I even try to attempt to, and, and I'm only saying this because I tried. Mm. I tried to put back old pieces because they're familiar. Right. Familiarity breeds comfort, right? Humans, we, we, that connection of comfort, of home, of something that looks familiar. So now everything falls apart. Now I'm looking into a forest or somewhere where I can't see the next step. But you have to do that. And if you're confident enough, and you won't be at first, but if you're confident to take that next step, then you'll realize whoever you believe in, Buddha, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, whoever, they will lead you the rest of the way. But you can't put back the new you in old skin because you won't fit. So anyway, I just I had to I had no, to say that that is that's re- somebody needed to hear that. And that's and that's important. You know what? I, I was thinking about pivoting. I don't. I think this conversation is too sacred to pivot to something else. Your like, call. I, I. If it's up, if you'd be willing to jump on another time and jump into the actual practicality and like the the business side of things, I would love Absolutely. to do that with you. But I, I feel like if we pivot now, we're taking away from that message, and I don't feel right yeah. doing that. I feel like if somebody um, needs to hear that, like. If if you are that person or you know that person that needs to hear that, yep. I want you to to marinate on what Tyrone said. Like, don't try to be the same person that you were before. And it, it's okay to like once you're broken, it's okay to be broken. It's okay to be not the person that you used to be. That's that's called life. It happens. Yep. Yep. 
and it's important to tell your story mm. right and yeah and everyone's everyone's not comfortable doing so which is why those of us with the big mouth right and 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 don't have a problem being vulnerable need to say so and i think if i can add a little more on that i think yeah. the other the other piece of it is this what happens when and again i'm sure there's someone out there as well what happens when you are at that point where you are going to consider killing yourself when you say i've gone through all i could possibly go through i want to give it up this is it and i and i want someone out there who's listening to this who is considering that to listen to me closely because this is important and even reach out to me if you have to at that moment, at that moment, there is a loneliness that is indescribable. You can't call on family and friends of those that know you because they'll be embarrassed, they'll be disappointed, they'll panic. That's not what you need. You also cannot dial an 800 number because one, the number's probably too hard to remember. And more importantly, you don't want to talk to a stranger in that moment, even though you may feel they may help. Here's what you need to do. At that moment, I would encourage anybody listening to this for a moment, close your eyes and just think of everything. Oh my God, I'm not going to cry. Of everything in that moment that has led you there and you'll realize that there's a, there's a strength that you haven't tapped into at that moment but you got to give yourself a moment to just sit sit with the gun sit with the knife sit with the pills and just think and i promise there's something there there's a strength in your life somewhere that you didn't tap into yet and you'll freeze and you won't throw yourself in front of a truck and then six years later you'll be on a podcast helping somebody do the same thing to get themselves out of that situation. That's all I got.